0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward ass ideals we have here in the United States. This is episode 107 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My awesome co-host is Ken Movoinberg, who you'll be hearing from in a few minutes, and we're both sexuality educators pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts too. This week, we talk with Lizette, better known to the internet as Sexology Bay. She's a sexuality writer, social work master's student, and fur mom born and raised in Louisiana and currently living in Houston, Texas. The idea for Sexology Bay was formed during her own mental, spiritual, and An emotional journey to unlearn the stigma and shame around sex and pleasure that comes with a Southern Christian upbringing. Near the end of her undergrad college career, after years spent as an on-campus sex educator, Lizette decided to share her experiences with the world after seeing a noticeable lack of young Black Southern Voices, talking openly about sex and sexuality in digital spaces. She has a passion for talking about race, body image, and the role of religion in shaping our relationships to sex. During this conversation with Lizette, we dig deep into the, quote, Mental, spiritual, and emotional journey to unlearn the stigma and shame around sex and pleasure that comes with a Southern Christian upbringing. Oh, hell we do, yes. Lizette tells us about the purity ceremony she attended as a teen. I'm sorry, as a person who did not grow up Christian, I was like, what? Like me and Ken are like, what? What was that? Oh, just wait. We also talk about how learning to value purity over everything else negatively impacted her developing sexuality and the consequences of religious oppression, not only on her own life, but on society as a whole. We also get into the political and cultural stereotypes about the South, how people with marginalized identities can unknowingly replicate and reinforce oppression, unpacking privilege, and what All of those things have to do with sex and sexuality, and they actually have a lot to do with it. Now, Lizette isn't your typical sex blogger. Her sociology background enables her to see sex ed and sexual freedom through a different lens. Now, that also makes things like writing sex toy reviews a little challenging. And speaking of Lizette and sex toys, she is running a sex toy giveaway right now you can win yourself a number of really awesome toys, including, you ready? <clears throat> a Blush novelties Aria Flutter or a Blush no Quiver, a Unicorn Horn by Split Peaches. All three of those, by the way, are provided by SheVibe. Or you can also win a Love Honey Happy Rabbit Wand courtesy of Betty's Toy Box. So the online giveaway starts today, which is October 21st, 2019, and it ends on October 31st. I'm gonna have a link to the giveaway in our show notes for episode 107 at americansexpodcast.com. But if you wanna jot it down real quick, you ready, got that pen? It's at bit.ly, that's bit.ly dot L-Y slash three five L-Q-F-L-Y you. Okay, so American Fuckers, getting through this intro has been really fucking hard. Um, As it stands now, I don't know how much editing I have to do because I keep like stumbling over my words. It's been a really rough week. So content note right now, I am about to talk about the death of a loved one. And about the death of somebody, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you may have grown to take a liking to He was our guest on episode 91, and I talked about him quite often. I was his caretaker and his last living family member that he had left. Uncle George died very unexpectedly and quickly and peacefully this past Monday. So (sighs) try not to cry. If I really cry a lot, I have the magic of editing. Um, But I'll tell you what happened. It helps me to talk about it. Um, so Sunday night, which was a week ago, I had really horrible dreams all night that uncle George died. And I was like, what? You know, like it was bugging the hell out of me. I kept waking up. I was told Ken, I was like, what the hell? And he, in one of the dreams, our pug who we loved tremendously, who passed away about a year and a half ago, he was in the dream. And in the dream, I was like, well, who's that little, little dog? And he turns around, it's a pug. And in my dream, I suddenly was lucid and I knew I was dreaming. And in my dream, I was like, oh, this is a real fucked up dream. If the dead pug is here in the dead Uncle George, like some shit's good. Like, it was just weird. It was fucking weird. Anyway, so I woke up on Monday morning, all freaked out, but went down to Uncle George. He was fine. I was like, brain, silly brain, everything's fine. Um, So, you know, he had coffee, Wall Street Journal, breakfast, typical morning. His caretaker, Gloria, who's freaking amazing, love her. She came, made him some breakfast, you know, everything was good. Um, And then, she was getting him dressed and cleaned up in the bathroom, and she came every morning to to do that, help him, you know, shower and bathe and stuff. And he just started slurring. He became weak. You know, we're like, what the hell's going on? And he has some low blood pressure episodes, which he gets a little out of it. So we're at first we're like, is that what's happening? And then quickly it became clear, like, no. So you know, let's call nine one one and. It was so funny because he was trying to carry on his normal conversation as his words are slurring, and it was just cute. He's like, you know, hey, how's this? How's this person doing? What's up with this? And he's, he's like slurring. I'm like, stop trying to talk. And uh, yeah, the paramedics came, and things just went downhill, and. They brought him to the hospital, they worked on him, and obviously they weren't successful. So they think it was some sort of heart attack or something, they're not sure, but that's what it's looking like. Um, so yeah, he died Monday morning. Time to edit, give me a second. Whew, okay. So Uncle George and I talked a lot about death. You know, he was ninety-one. He he knew. You know, he was like, "I, I lived a great life. I'm ninety-one. I'm ready to go whenever." You're like, I, "I'm ready. I'm ready for this next adventure." And he was tired. You know, and his loss of mobility over the last year was a real bummer. He was always super independent, and I could tell, even though he tried to take it in stride, it was weighing on him. You know, that he was so dependent on us for pretty much everything. He was he was living a happy life. He was really really happy here in in Vegas but at the same time he was also like I'm also kind of done you know I'm I'm not going to be scared when it happens so Um, you know, I was pretty much his full-time caretaker aside from gloria that came a couple hours a day And i've been doing it since january and that's why we moved out to vegas was to take care of him And he was like who knew, you know, I would have liked vegas so much vegas is really nice It's more than just brothels and and casinos. Oh my goodness, you know But he at the same time he was also like, you know, but if one day I wake up and it happens i'm happy you know so, yeah, we we had a good run here in Vegas. It was a lot shorter than I thought it would be. But, you know, every night he has cranberry and vodka at 530, vodka o'clock. And, uh, you know, he had his routines down and, and things were good. And I didn't think this was going to happen now. But it did. And I'm sad. And he went out the way he would have wanted to with a belly full of coffee cake having his normal chit chatty conversation in the middle of getting dressed for the day. And, you know, one of the last things he said, Gloria was rubbing his back with a hot towel. And that was always his favorite. And even when he was slurry, he was like, "Mm, I love that. That feels so good. That's my favorite. So the last thing he probably consciously experienced was being at home where he wanted to be with people that loved him. So, Tonight, have a vodka cranberry and have some port salute cheese or some kind of expensive foreign cheese. You know, he was kind of a cheese stub, and have it in his honor. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to his episode, 103 and I think earlier I said it was episode 91 which he was 91, and numbers, and I have death brain, so forgive me. It was episode 103. Do so while you're sipping on your drink. He was a really cool guy, and I felt really grateful to have a chance to get to know him so well over the last year. And you all did too. You know, you sent me great messages and notes about his episode. When I tweeted on his behalf to President Trump, oh, I just called him President Trump, orange mango Mussolini, whatever. Um, I I said, Uncle George says, fuck you. It all went viral, like thousands upon thousands of you like that. So thank you for sharing the last days of Uncle George with me. And I just want to say, you know, hopefully this episode's going to go out on time. I don't know. I'm kind of by the seat of my pants. I can't think. It might be a day late. I don't know. And if it is, thank you for being understanding. Same thing, you know, over the next couple of weeks, lots of stuff's going to be happening. I don't know where my head's going to be. So if for some reason I'm late with an episode or two, you know, be understanding. I'll, I'll try to get my shit together. But there's a lot going on. So American fuckers, get a Kleenex, wipe those eyes. You know, Uncle George told me many, many times, don't feel sorry for me when I die. I lived a long, happy life and I'm ready for the next adventure. So, okay. Pause this. Go make your vodka drink and grab a big old hunk of fancy cheese and sit with me and listen to Sexology Bay, aka sex blogger Lizette.
1: And I am super excited. I know we always fucking say we're super excited. We for need everybody. a new phrase. We, we need, need a, a new, phrase. like,
0: my nipples are, are no, that's no, not that's a good rude. one.
1: <laughs> that is rude. What are you doing? I don't know. What are you, a 13-year-old boy? I'm trying to be cheeky, Ken. You're failing. You're being nipply, but you're not being cheeky. So
0: <laughs> my, my butt is nice and warm. How's that?
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ.
0: I don't know what's happening. So okay. we,
1: we are starting something new with our special guest that's on today. One of the things that is very important to Sonny and I, as many of you know, when we go to conferences we will refuse to do a conference if there is not enough educators of color. If there's not enough trans people there, if there's not enough representation across the board. So one of the things that we decided is that we wanted to give a, uh, a lift and help elevate some new and upcoming voices that aren't ancient Gen Xers like us, because we want to get some millennials on and new and upcoming millennials. So we found and We didn't find, like, we didn't just, I'm not going to use the word discover cause fuck that. I'm not goddamn Columbus. Uh, <laughs> I stumbled upon during an like a Twitter uh tornado, uh this amazing younger uh blogger named Lizette. Now Lizette, thank you for coming on the show today. I cannot wait to talk to you and thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: No, thank y'all so much for having me. This is super exciting and kind of scary if i'm being honest well,
0: well no that's okay but, yeah no we're not
1: scary we're not scary i, I mean unless
0: you want us to be scary with it, you know.
1: that costs extra. we can that. negotiate yeah, right as long as you consent we can be scary
0: no but Consent's you know the name I mean, of the game It is, it is. No, but when you listen to sex podcasts, it's all kind of the same group of, of guests that you hear. And it's the same names that are out there. And it's like, there are a lot of younger, bright sexuality educators and, and bloggers and, you know, all sorts of people that are, you know, are kind of in the shadows. So it's like, we want to talk to you because you're shining star on Twitter. I've been following you for a while. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been following you for a while.
2: I have. And I remember when you followed me, I was like, Oh, I've made it. <laughs> this is legit now. <laughs> I'm a person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so when we were getting to know you, I was really mm-hmm. um, intrigued by your background and what mm-hmm. drove you to get into sexuality education. Um, so I guess let's start there. Like, tell us, like, your sex blog, that's kind of a part-time gig, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, I guess let's just
2: kind of start from the beginning. So I am from the South. I'm from Louisiana, born and raised, um, only child of a single mother. And when I say that that informs, you know, the way that I walk through this world, like, I mean, obviously all of our upbringings do, but, um, when it comes to thinking about sex, sexuality, um, think, being a black woman, um, in the South with a religious background the way that I had. Um, sex was just not something that was very open in mm-hmm. my household. And and th- that was the thing. My mom was, I would say, fairly opened by by the standards of other people that I grew up with in terms of I remember when I was like younger and she would uh she'll talk to me about you know what happens like when my period starts and um we were very open about like my development and puberty and things that would happen but sex was always kind of like <clears throat> I kind of reached a point where my mom was just kind of like I'm assuming you know like what's like what happens? Just don't come home with any kids, and we're fine. Okay. And <laughs> did,
1: I mean, did she talk to you about how to use safe sex stuff, or did she just hope that you would know? <laughs>
0: don't ask, don't tell.
2: <laughs> it was really kind of a don't ask, don't tell situation, and and it wasn't you know necessarily that she shut down the conversation. So it was just that like I I don't think she knew how to open the door with me, mm-hmm. and and you know and that's that's like not something I blame her for. Like that's not something that. Her, was open, you know, when she was growing up either. Um, but it really did fall on me to kind of find my own resources to mm-hmm. learn about sex and safe sex and healthy sex and things like that. And um, so I did, you know, as a child with access to the internet, I was just fortunate to kind of find my way into really good resources like Scarlet Teen. Oh, um, yes. Oh, I used to write for them. Heather, they, Heather is awesome. They, <laughs> they just answer so many questions for me as just a preteen and a teenager. Um, and then I guess kind of from there, um, so like in high school, you know, that without exaggeration, it's so funny, like being again in the Twitter sphere and seeing in the sexuality space how, you know, most of the people that are educators or writers or bloggers are generally, you know, white from the North um, and women. And right. so- seeing them talk about their sexuality backgrounds, it, it looks so much different from mine because, you know, they'll talk about how, you know, when they'd had sex ed at school, it didn't include, you know, X, Y, and Z things. It didn't include, you know, like necessarily safer sex or sex for queer people or things like that. I didn't have sex education, mm, <laughs> like- Nothing. You know, so like, like nothing. So like, let's start there, you know? Um And, and that's obviously, that's a very common thing across the South, in across the country, Only 24 states mandate sex education and obviously from there falls down to the states on what they want to include in that curriculum. And so obviously in states that are more conservative, if they do have sex ed at all, it's going to be abstinence based um, and obviously based around, you know, more like religious dogma, I guess for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And so um, the closest thing I got to sex ed in high school was in health class led by like the volleyball coach who was also my <laughs> psychology teacher. <laughs>
0: this is such a stereotype. This is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: like, I I it's like a teen movie. I wish I were joking. Yeah. And um she um like in the um in like the one section about you know sex, quote unquote, all that was really in there was different pictures of genitals with different STIs. And it basically <gasps> the messaging was don't have sex because you're either gonna end up with a baby or this is going to happen to you. And obviously that's, that's obviously sex negative. That doesn't give anybody any clue as to what to do with, you know, like you're not stopping teens from wanting to have sex. You're not stopping teens from having sex. You're just making it harder for them to access information
0: mm-hmm. that
2: can keep them safe. to access information that can keep them safe. And it was just, it was just honestly unfortunate. And so that was like high school and then cut to college. I kind of fell into, um, you know, being quote unquote woke and part of that, um, I just kind of became a sex educator through different organizations at school and just led like small workshops, different talks and things like that. And I was really realizing that all of these people who were educated quote unquote on paper, you know, at this mm-hmm. college really, you know, relatively prestigious I would say, um, didn't know the first thing about their bodies or how they worked, you know, really believed all these really dangerous myths about sex ed and how to protect yourself during sex. And I, I just remember kind of thinking to myself, like why, you know, like why isn't there a resource out there that is talking about the things that are relevant to people like me in, you know, like in my context, in a language that I want to read in a way that I care about. And the this kind of like built this whole sentiment really throughout my college career and then right before i graduated i just you know spur of the moment bought the domain and kind of launched sexology bay and that's it's it's really been a whirlwind ever since honestly um And, and the thing is sexology Bay as a blog, as you know, the persona, I guess that I am, it is Uh a part-time gig, you know, this isn't something I do full time. Um, I have a corporate job, you know, I have a day job that I go to and do that. Um, but then most uh,
1: sex educators do, cause we don't make Jack shit for cash.
0: Yeah,
2: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) right, Right. I know that's a very common thing. And so, um, it's really a passion project, honestly, you know, I've been fortunate throughout, you know, the past, Oh my gosh, it'll be three years next year. Um, so I guess two and a half years now that I've been able to, um, I, I guess access the different like connections that I needed to make to get me into the places to get recognized, to begin building my audience, to be guilt, to begin like building, you know, some semblance of recognition
0: mm-hmm. in the
2: sexuality space. Um, and but yeah, it's still really just, you know, something will strike me, I'll come across something on Twitter, um, or something will just come up in conversation with friends. And I'm like, I should write about this. And that's what I really love about it, is that because this is self funded, it's self run, I don't answer to anyone but myself. So, you know, if I'm having kind of like a rough mental health period, and I need to take a couple, you know, weeks or a month off from writing, I can absolutely do that. If I, you know, not necessarily want to write about sexuality, but um, Things like my experiences with birth control, which are actually my very first posts was like these really long form essays about my whole like, you know, multi year long saga with birth control and why I'm not on it anymore. Right. Um, You know, I can do that. And that's something that I've really enjoyed about this process.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's great for your mental health, by the way, just in anything, if you can give yourself permission to take a little time off uh, when things are getting a little bit too stressful. I think that you're like you seem very self-aware and that's an amazing quality for uh, somebody to have. Um now when you uh like when you're doing your your reviews like the, the like mm-hmm. what do you look for in a specific topic?
2: When it when it comes down to like what I deem worthy of writing um it's so. If you look at my drafts, I have like twenty draft posts that kind of came to me <laughs> in a strike of brilliance, and then I kind of lost my passion for it. And Wait, then...
0: are you me? <laughs> <Really? Am> I...
2: <laughs> exactly. If the public
0: could see all my drafts, it's like, oh, that was oh, gonna like be a great article. But what open the, the your fuck? How many to
1: tabs it? do you have open in your computer, Lizette?
2: okay so um part of and the i am judging told, you by the way <laughs> y'all told me to close all my tabs to make sure
0: how many no would you have had open though?
2: <laughs> so between school work and life work i you know it's always north of 15 um so that's also part of it too i'm also in grad school <laughs> so yeah i'm living i have 18 different hats on too so um i get, so when it comes to like what i'm writing about um most so I guess the first thing is how relevant is it? And, you know, again, I don't like I don't like going on other people's time. So I try mm-hmm. not to write about current events because, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to. My writing process is kind of too long and too full of procrastination for me to write things in a timely fashion. So um, I try to stick to things that, you know, maybe there's a thing that triggered a particular topic back into the public consciousness that mm-hmm. but it's always like evergreen. So right. um I I think two or three posts ago back in May or maybe June I wrote about um like my feelings about all of the abortion laws, anti-abortion laws, I guess that were kind of passing um in different states mostly in the south um in that in that like kind of like 6 week span. I think Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, um, a couple other states, you know, just kind of were hitting it like one after the other with those really restrictive abortion laws. And that was one of those things where, you know, the news, you know, the, the, the laws themselves are going to die down in the headlines. But talking about abortion and talking about the ways, um, specifically what I wanted to touch on in that piece was the ways that um, conservative white women are like a quiet danger in our politics. And uh-huh. I don't think we're really going to move forward as a society until we acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, so it was part of that. And then just another rant about how, when things like that happen, everybody starts ragging on the South and it's just not conducive to anything. Being from the South again, born and raised Louisiana. And now I live in Texas. I really can't see myself living anywhere else other than the South. I love it here. And just again, seeing the place that I love kind of be turned into just again stereotypes and misinformation from people who were who think that they have it together because they live in these really liberal yet incredibly segregated, you know, paradises that are blue states. Mm. Um, you know, I, I kind of just just wanted to turn the mirror back on some folks a little bit. Because I do think again, conversations like that are evergreen, even if the um, I guess triggering topic isn't necessarily as relevant
0: right it's something that just keeps going around and around it keeps coming up and you know different individual instances but it's the same conversation we're having over and over
2: exactly exactly because for me i'm really invested in the why of things so um I was a sociology major in my undergrad, which uh-huh. just, you know, I remember, Ken, Ken, when we first started talking, you asked me, was it sociology or psychology? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it is because, just talk to me for like two minutes, and I promise you, I can squeeze in institutional something in there. Um, and I think you did. And- I did. I did. I think when I I said the word like institutional oppression like 15 times in a span of 30 words. Um, but again, so, so so because that's my background, that's the way that I approach everything. And so it's kind of, you know, beyond just kind of the surface. This is a thing that's happening. Let's really dig into the why and asking those questions. And then, I mean, rhetorically answering them in the course of a post is really part of my writing process. And that's really why things all kind of start and then the draft will kind of die off. It's just because I'm like, you know, this piece isn't, you know, maybe it's like I can't really get at the why yet. I can't answer the question yet. So it's not as important for me to write just at this moment. Right. And um and, and lately, I've been falling into product reviews as well, which is actually interesting. That's not really why I got into this. I think it's so funny. Um, you know, like, I tell my friends, like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I did a new review, blah, blah. They think it's so cool that companies will send me sex toys. Right. And like, ooh. They're like, ooh, exactly. Like, ooh, it's so, like, ooh, look at you. It's so, like, scandalous. You know, like, yeah, I have... Three freaking Tupperware, con- like giant Tupperware containers full <laughs> of sex toys. I've nowhere to put them. I live in an apartment. Okay. I don't have storage space, but yeah, you, you know, writing that, that's been it. That's actually been one of the most challenging pieces of this for me because my voice just lends itself better to, um, I don't know, kind of approaching things from a more, not necessarily academic, but just that more institutional kind of high level perspective. So it's very mm-hmm. hard to, you know, talk about why I didn't like this vibrator or, you know, why this particular, the configuration of this particular product, you like did or didn't work for me. It's very interesting, you know, and I've, I've owned that about myself. You know, I'm not a reviewer. I don't try to be. There are plenty of great product reviewers out there. I will never say no to a company wanting to work with me, but, <laughs> you know, that's, re- that's not really my... um aim or my goal with this
1: right right so i wanted to bring up something a little uncomfortable for not not for you but it might be Mm -hmm. for the audience um Mm -hmm. i want to talk about why white women are problematic and that's whether they're from the north the south uh whether they're blue or red and specifically let's address white women's tears that have been turned into weapons can you explain that to our audience why it's problematic
2: oh my goodness okay All right, bam! We just jump right into that (laughs) shit, man. (laughs) I'm like, oh no! Here's hoping I make all of my, you know, Africana studies professors proud. We read all (laughs) those feminist texts for a reason. Um, So I guess without taking up an extra 45 minutes of y'all's time, I think that when we're talking about oppression and we're talking about structural oppression and identities that inform the way we experience oppression yet clearly gender is one of those and i think it's very easy for white women to get caught up in oh like i'm a woman so clearly like i'm oppressed and it's so funny because it's something that bothers me to no end whenever especially you know like the um like liberal feminist white women they'll say you know just basically blame you know white cis men for everything and i'm like hey girl Two out of those three identities are also yours. (laughs) Yeah. Let's let's take a look, though. Let's reevaluate. And I think it's, I think it's so hard because okay, let me. I guess rewind it a bit. I think in general, it's really hard for those of us that have oppressed identities to acknowledge the ways that we benefit from, and by extension, replicate oppression. Mm. And I. I I will be the first one to acknowledge it is incredibly hard for me again, like as a black woman that, you know, that in and of itself is a very oppressed identity. However, Mm -hmm. you know, I do have some level of class privilege. You know, I have a comfortable job that provides me with health insurance. I live in a two income household, you know, my needs are met beyond, you know, everything that I really need. Um, and I have, you know, a college education, I'm pursuing higher education, you know, things like that. And so right. it's it's very easy to look at yourself and say, okay, well, I suffer these and these, these ways, but how do I replicate things like, for me specifically, you know, how do I replicate ableism? You know, how do I replicate transphobia? How do right. I, by extension, benefit from those systems that are actively harming other people. And I, for white women who kind of, all they have to hold on to is their womanhood as their like only really like axis of oppression, it's that much harder to want to let it go. Because And like, I think if we look all the way back and the, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it now, but like, it's basically the construction of true womanhood that started mm-hmm. during slavery that basically, excluded black women from being considered women. You know, we were basically regarded as animals. That wasn't just slave masters, you know, perpetuating that system. Their wives were just as violent towards enslaved people, towards the children that were a result of rape that were also enslaved. Like, because those systems benefited them they were able to have access to a, you know, financially secure life. They were able to be society women. They were able to, you know, again, just access the the, the level of privilege um, that was really rooted in the exclusion of other people. And I think that the, again, the, it's, so I'm blanking on it so hard now. Um, but yeah, the construction of true womanhood that, um, that white women have, it, we still see it today. And that, I mean, like that's where it's rooted in. And until right. white women reckon with that history, the event that in, I guess, popular culture started the civil rights movement was the murder of Emmett Till. Right. Because he allegedly was sold out a white woman who used her white womanhood Mm -hmm. to enact violence against this Black child. And that's not a coincidence. Even today, Amber Geiger, the white cop in Dallas, who walked into a Black man's apartment, shot him dead. Just the fact that, yes, she was thankfully found guilty of murder, but just the fact that she may not have been and really no one had faith that she would be because she's a white woman. And in this country, we know that white women are afforded a level of protection that no one else is even white men
0: that. Right.
1: Absolutely. And I might point out that Amber Geiger hasn't been sentenced yet and it could be as much as 99 years, but it could be as little as five.
0: Ugh.
2: Correct. Exactly. Ugh. So, and that's what I, you know, I was talking to my partner earlier about it. I was like, I'm written, you know, I'm not really rejoicing in the streets yet until I hear her sentence, just because again, you know, we know how this system works. Right. Um, uh, But I think that white women are very eager to bolster the systems that protect them because they know that they're protected within them. And I think that a lot of the posturing that's done with regards to, oh, the patriarchy, oh, white men are the root of all evil, quote unquote, you know it it completely absolves them of any responsibility in perpetuating these same systems that yes white men created but they also created it in part to protect you and you benefit from that and right. reckoning with reckoning with that history and that reality is really something that i don't think i don't think we're there yet
0: yeah I, do you have any I, I don't have the answers i certainly <laughs> fucking don't have the answers
1: but and I want to make one quick comment, what? though. Um, so, audience might be wondering, Ken, why are you asking two women of color to hate on white women? And that's not I what mean, I'm doing look. here today at all. Because <laughs> I am white, I am cis, I am hetero, I have military privilege, I even have tattoo privilege. Like I can get away literally with almost anything. People think
0: you're a rock star, they, they do. do, or a tattoo yeah. artist, or yeah, something. Yeah. But
1: like they look at me and they just make a hell of a lot of assumptions uh, because I have a larger platform than a lot of other folks what i'm doing here is i'm not hating on anybody what i am doing is i'm simply taking my privilege and passing the mic and i'm shutting up and letting lizette talk and that's that's exactly what today is about this is me passing the mic shutting up and right now i'm not shutting up but that's (laughs) (laughs) but you guys get what i'm saying right
0: (laughs) i'm gonna shut up shutting up okay (laughs) no but you know i i don't have the answers like i i listen to you and i'm like hell yeah yep Uh uh-huh yep yep but i'm like you know when it comes to like what the fuck do we do it's like i know we're not there yet i have no idea how to even get there i mean do you have any inklings of of what we need to do or if there's a, a a a white woman listening right now who's like oh shit yeah you know what would you tell her to like here's your first step here's what you can do
2: it's so funny um, I have <laughs> what I call a list of trusted whites in my life. <laughs> oh. um, it's very it's very small. it's like five people um, <laughs> and, and I think that's
1: national, isn't
2: it? Yeah, oh yeah global
1: <laughs> it's actually global
2: um, <laughs> so, so like I, I'm getting at you know when people okay I guess. I don't even know where to start, honestly, because it's also like I feel inclined just to say, like,
0: this is literally not my problem. Exactly. Like, go. <laughs> and- <laughs> go. What it, what does Jimonika say? She says, you your Google works like my Google, boo. It really does. <laughs> it really
2: does. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, fucking and they, now, right you now. know, there's a problem. Go start and Googling. I, right, I, and I do think that what happens is, despite having access to Google, as we all do, is that a lot of people, and you know, we're talking specifically about white women, but it can be really about anyone trying to unpack like their privilege and their like mm-hmm. complicitness in systems of oppression. That like we try to reinvent the wheel, and we like you know try to just like figure it all out on our own, and not understanding that there's there's all there's so much history out there. There are people who have been doing this work for decades, if not centuries. There's a white woman whose name escapes me. And I wish I remembered it, but she's someone I think could be considered an accomplice to people of color. She, um, Oh my gosh.
0: I've got, is my- it the older lady with the short hair? Is that who you're thinking of? Uh, no. what the fuck is her? No,
2: no, uh, she's, she's dead, but she, okay. I'm just getting that okay. right. She bought, one of the things she did was she bought a house for a black family in the segregated South in like the forties or the fifties or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, white people don't know that there's a legacy of anti-racism within their own, like, community, I guess, if, you know, white people have a community, which is its own conversation in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, there are people out there that have been doing the work, that are doing the work currently, and, like, finding them, reaching out to them, and learning from them instead of asking people of color to do the labor for you is important. Because when a white person knows something or is an anti-racist it's because a person of color has already taught them what they need to know nine times out of ten or that information again has trickled down throughout the years and you know instead of reinventing the wheel look to what already exists i think you know like again i try not to put too much faith into any privileged person when it comes to you know, figuring it out hundred percent. Cause we all do, we all fail. We never get it right, you know, all the time. But I think instead of, you know, just kind of rooting in your like, well, you know, I call out my family members and I didn't vote for Trump and like kind of leaving it at that. And then getting stuck in that whole like defensiveness, like, you know, reconsider. Of course I'm
0: not racist.
2: <laughs> if If I had a dollar, <laughs> um, But, yeah, I think just, like, starting at the resources that already exist and then kind of, like, working from that can help, like, just tremendously. Because I Mm -hmm. had to do something similar, especially when it came to um, working through, like, my transphobia and things like that as I kind of came into my own consciousness. Like, it's not, again, it's not an overnight process. You still definitely slip. I had a snafu the other day in which, like, I retweeted something on Twitter that was, you know, I didn't think it was, but it was brought to my attention that it was ableist. And I had to, like, reckon with that. I was like, because, of course, my first instinct was like, no, I'm like an ally. Like, of course, I wouldn't do something problematic like that. What? Right. But no. I do it every
1: fucking day. I do it every day. And I try to not, but it's, you know, it it works in progress.
2: Exactly. And this person who is disabled said no, like, that was kind of fucked and i was like you know and they opted to you know no longer like be in my digital space anymore and i can't fault them for that you right. know and i think it's also having that level of like you know you may fuck up and people might not want to associate with you anymore as part of that even if you acknowledge the hurt and resolve to do better in the future they have the right to not want to you know be in space with you anymore and that's also fine even if it really sucks and it really hurts your ego
0: Support for episode 107 of American Sex Podcast comes from Manscaped. They are number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for you or your honey's family jewels. Now, you've heard us mention over and over how much Ken truly loves Manscaped products. And hey, I love them too because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of getting ball hair stuck in my teeth. Oh, really? You can relate too? Well, then there's a good chance that you or one of your partners can benefit from Manscaped. And because I hate to see you picking all those hairs out of your throat, I'm going to give you 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. All you have to do is use the code SUNNY. Now, you're probably also asking, all right, wait a minute. What makes Manscaped products so great anyway? Well, check this out. Manscaped has completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their sexy lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't chop any nuts. Manscaped also has the crop preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Manscaped is the perfect gift for a partner. Not only can you use it to cut to the chase to get things all cleaned up down there, but if you're a little kinky, What if you made Manscaped a scene, right? Having your lover groom you can be considered an act of service. Or perhaps grooming your submissive could be considered, you know, carefully tending to your private, very special ball field. Hmm? See where I'm going with this, right? American fuckers, go get your 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at manscaped, M A N S C A P E D.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code SUNNY.
1: Yeah. And it was hard as I try. I still am racist because I benefit from institutional racism. And by the way, white people definitely have a culture and it somehow involves mayonnaise and raisins and no spice. Okay. 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 Those are the three three things. And being
0: really (laughs) passive aggressive.
1: Being very (laughs) passive aggressive. Yes.
0: Can we
2: talk about how I feel personally attacked that white people have been able to lay claim to mayonnaise? I love mayonnaise. Okay. And look, y'all got it on raisins. Y'all are allergic to seasoning. But
1: there's. I, I love mayonnaise. But, but, you know, me and Sonny have a fight because I like Miracle Whip. Fucking it... Hellman. <laughs> man. Okay, no, Miracle no, Whip. No, no, wait.
0: Mayonnaise.
2: Wait, Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise. Ken, you lost me. Sorry.
0: Exactly. Sorry. I, I know. Thank it's you. the
1: tangy goodness. I think, what is it? Me no. and like, Melina are the only people that like Miracle no, Whip. No,
0: Melina thinks you are. Oh, I'm the devil. I'm sorry. You're, you're the devil. Well, you're I the mayonnaise devil. devil. <laughs> or the, I'm
1: sorry, the Miracle Whip devil. The Miracle Whip yes. devil. I'm sorry. Hi. I thought for a minute she liked the, the Miracle no, Whip. I, I was wrong. Sorry, Melina. I am not right on that. I am wrong. I am I'm definitely blue eyed devil of miracle whip, <laughs> tangy awfulness.
2: No, not miracle. I was with you until you said miracle No, but I think that there is a, cont- <laughs> you know, hey, listeners of color, if you love mayonnaise, please tweet me. We will form a coalition. <laughs> we will take back what is ours. We will not let white people colonize mayonnaise, okay? Yeah. I please, yeah. We exist.
0: <laughs> I'm with you. I love my helmets, man. I love my helmets. <laughs> It's yeah, just, I don't like dry sandwiches. Like, who can fault me? <laughs> right, right. And how would you have deviled eggs without oh, your mayonnaise? Okay, I mean, potato salad. Like, right, come on now, right? Like, yeah. How are you going to make a, a like a what a
2: mustard potato salad? What is this? Like, are uh, we in Manhattan? Like, what? what?
1: <laughs> New York City. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I was not expecting this conversation to dip into mayonnaise. No, so I wasn't awesome expecting it
0: no. to dip into mayonnaise. But, you know, it is no, what but it is. I, I'm like, glad it
2: did. I, I, it's an this important is some, issue. <laughs> this is something I sit with every day.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, all right, mayonnaise. <laughs> the, I'm with you on the mayonnaise. So one thing, though, I, you know, it, I like hearing your perspectives and, and really getting insight as to You know, the reasons why not only that you got into to sex ed and social work, but the bigger reasons around that. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, Oh, it's just about sex toys or, Oh, it's Mm -hmm. just about like, Oh yeah, we should have reproductive, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. lot more there Mm -hmm. and. You know, when when we had been talking before and about you growing up in the south, mm-hmm. one of the, you know, in your a big thing in your life mm-hmm. was religion. And not just mm-hmm. in your life, but in the south. Mm-hmm. So what kind of role did that play in the um, you know, the the, the secrecy and the mm-hmm. the not talking about sexuality, mm-hmm. both in your life and just in the culture that you grew up in?
2: Okay. Um, so again, the, so family's incredibly religious. Um, and by extension, as a woman growing up in that environment, I was raised to basically value purity over everything else Mm -hmm. and remaining pure over everything else. And if I had a dollar for like every like purity ceremony, that I went to at different churches with my friends and things like that. Like,
1: wait, you I, actually went to those? Yeah, they were. Can you, like Can you please, like, okay, so, yeah, for our, so for our audience, like, this is a foreign thing to the majority of the people listening. Can you tell us what a mm-hmm. purity ceremony is? Like, just give us a like a two second rundown.
2: Yeah, so the one that I, that one that stands out most to me was um, it was at my friend's church, and I w- we were like seventh eighth grade so like 12 13 and um, my friend was in it i was just like there to support her and what it, basically what it was was that um all of the girls in the church of course boys didn't need to participate
1: mm-hmm. and, seriously yeah because you know I, I don't know this is yeah. I'm like i'm a jew but don't yeah don't look at me like that <laughs> but yeah
2: yeah like I, i'm trying not to be sarcastic but yeah is this
1: evangelical southern baptist like what denomination would this be
2: I'm gonna be honest. I don't remember, but I'm probably going to Protestant
1: a, of some kind. I'm
2: go, oh, it's absolutely Protestant. I didn't okay. really, I didn't really meet Catholics until college. Mm. Um, everybody I really grew up with was Protestant, so I would say just like kind of generically like Southern Baptist, like okay, you know, very, very, very adjacent to like Pentecostal, but like not quite there. It's so funny, like you but know without the mean?
1: snakes and the the, Google, yeah. the blah 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 blah.
2: Well, no, we had speaking in tongues. No snakes, though, because <laughs> that was that was too far um but yeah so at the purity <laughs> ceremony um basically what would happen was that all of the young women in the church um were supposed to basically come down the aisle like it was a wedding everybody was wearing white and the when the girls that had already had sex like everybody had veils on and the girls that had already had sex would have their veils back and the ones that hadn't had sex yet would have them f- forward like the way you would I guess I I'm so
1: forward, glad I right. asked this because Sunny's face right now she just <laughs> did three <laughs> yeah. neck movements that like, like she, still almost, doing like, she ne- almost has American sign language but with neck
0: yeah <laughs> Or, like, I'm yeah. a lizard, like, with yes. their yeah. slides going around. My head's like, what? So, okay, these 12- and 13-year-old girls are walking mm-hmm. down the aisle in, like, the mm-hmm. kind of wedding garb, mm-hmm. and the ones who had had sex already are admitting to this and putting mm-hmm. their... Va- like, who mm-hmm. in their right mind would be like, oh, yeah, I, you know...
1: I took the dick. Fuck the
0: neighbor boy <laughs> yeah. when I was 12. Like, who admits that in front of their whole family in their church? It's. it's- they're better than me.
2: Um,
0: it's because yeah. was it just like they, they they thought well God knew so I Basi- mean, yeah what?
2: basically it was kind of okay. that thing, like th- so the whole point of the ceremony was to like reclaim yourself before God like basically like if you had already had sex you would like re virginize yourself and like by the end of <laughs> it you know you'd put your veil back forward because you're I virgin would
0: be again such which a liar again, I would I'd be like no my veil I don't know what shit, like. Yeah. <laughs> God, oh yeah, my so, secret. Like, I would not. Keep going.
1: Yeah. This is fascinating. Okay, sorry.
2: I'm just so, no, <laughs> I'm stuck you're on that. No, you're fine. <sighs> it's so funny. Because, like, thinking back on it, it was absolutely bonkers. But, yeah, I'm just sitting there. Like, it's perfectly, like, normal. Um, and so, yeah, so basically, like, the preacher, you know, said a bunch of things. And, uh, again, the, the basically the whole point of it was for these women to either recommit yourself to remaining chaste until marriage or, you know, if you hadn't had sex yet, just, like, reinforcing that promise that you would remain. Ch- and it was, you basically, you had to take vows. I forgot what they said exactly, but like the microphone got passed down the thing and it'd say, I so-and-so like, you know, in front of God and everybody and not going to have sex until marriage or something to that effect. And um yeah, that was it. And, it, you know, again, it was a bunch of like young women who were either forced into it by their families or opted to do it. And I, Again, to me, that was perfectly normal at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I, until uh, about 16-ish, I had committed myself to remaining chaste until marriage. Um, And I was like, yeah, cool, perfectly valid. And, um, but yeah, so that's, that, you know, it's kind of like a symptom of the larger structure of the way religion informed my relationship with sexuality. I remember going to oh my God, <laughs> a church retreat when I was like 15
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, it was all, you know, they kind of separated them by sex. So, you know, girls would go to one and boys would go to one. But um, like part of it, like it was like a weekend thing. It was like, you would leave on Friday, spend all weekend at the church and then come back home on Saturday, Sunday after mm-hmm. church service. And I'll just never forget. Like there was a, I don't remember the context but they were playing that scene from passion of the christ where jesus is being whipped and stuff while he's carrying the cross like down the mm-hmm. thing are, are and- you talking
1: about that awful mel gibson travesty
2: yep that movie yeah um yeah. so that's, they showed so, that in
1: in a church yeah, so-
2: so keep in mind, this was like, this was a mega church. So we're talking like, this was on like movie theater size screens. And it's like 200 young women there. And we're just like being exposed to this violence. And meanwhile, there's a bunch of like, you know, female like pastors and like mentors, quote unquote, down there. And someone's like screaming into a microphone, like, look at what God has done for you. You need to say sorry. Like, look at all that Jesus sacrificed for you. Like, it was like... <laughs> it was I remember like in that moment feeling like just guilty like oh you're right I have had unpure thoughts I have you know sinned I have done all these like terrible things I'm like look this white man got beat up so I shouldn't do those things like <laughs> <laughs> so I'm resolving to do better kind of a thing and um that again made so much sense to me at the time and It seemed perfectly not normal, but like it made it made sense to me because I was just Mm, what I was different
1: than any experience I've ever had. I come from a very religiously mixed family where like I had one side that was Protestant and the other side was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And uh, but like we the second congregational church that I was baptized in when I was a little kid was like there was Easter eggs and Noah's Ark. And that's pretty much it. And then some fat guy that looked like flounder that was the preacher. For uh, I'm sorry, the Flounder from uh, Animal House. And I'm really dating myself. She has no idea who I'm talking yeah, about.
2: Yeah, no, right no, you lost
1: me. <laughs> we used no. to call him Father Flounder.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, you lost me on that But way. like, no,
1: literally, like we had, we we got snacks and drink grape Kool-Aid and that was it. There was none of this stuff. Like you kind
0: of went to church for show, like, you know. And I went
1: to church maybe two times.
0: Right, like oh. on a holiday. And when people or... died. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that was it. And then we had to look at Father Flounder. And I had to wear a suit and it pissed me off. <laughs> But it was small and there wasn't (laughs) cool stuff, and there was no singing because it wasn't a bunch of white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was nothing awesome about it. It was just. But you had your miracle with uh, (laughs) with cold salads. (laughs) They had that ambrosia salad. They did have oh, that ambrosia salad with raisins and, and mayonnaise in it.
2: Not anyway,
0: ambrosia. back that to is... whipping Jesus and right, like not miracle whip. That's a different kind of miracle right. whip. Which is like, that's,
1: no. no, that's where it comes from. So the whip of Longinus is the miracle whip.
0: Oh my gosh! No,
2: no. my mother is going to listen to this, and I'm going to get a phone call. Oh.
0: Um. <laughs> I, I, Lizette's I, mom, I'm so sorry. Sorry, Mom. We're so <laughs> sorry. We're a bad so, influence. It's not it's, Lizette. It's us. It's we'll us.
1: Take the blame. It is us. It's the miracle whip. It yeah. makes white it people crazy. It, it does. It makes us crazy.
2: It does. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, so, you know, these are all experiences that took place like during my, like you know, relative, like my formative years. You know, I was like a young teenager into a young adult. And these were things that I considered as normal. I remember. I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. There was a point in time where I was like really knee deep in believing that, okay, like I still kind of believe that the Illuminati is real, but I was really knee deep in the belief that like pop stars, specifically Beyonce and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry were all like devil worshiping. Like Illuminati, like pawns, and I wouldn't listen to their music. Like there was a like eighteen month period I didn't listen to <laughs> pop music. And, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just admitted to that because I like to forget about that. But it, it coincided with this like what I thought was a religious awakening, right? And, right. Um,
1: Obviously, it, it, K-pop is of the <laughs> devil. I mean, I don't know what you were thinking, <laughs> Monster yeah, X? Mon- yeah. I'm saying, just saying.
2: Yeah, so I, um, I fully, I just fully bought into it, and it, I wasn't, you know, raised to really challenge the teachings that I was receiving, um, and that's again, that's across the board, you know, you're you're just kind of taught like, well, this is just what it is. You're either with it or you're not. If you're with it, great. That means you're going to heaven. If you're not, too bad. You're going to hell. And mm-hmm. um, I don't really know. Well, I mean, I know what happened. My grandmother died and my high school boyfriend broke up with me in a span of like 10 days.
1: Oh Mm. my God. I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah. I mean, and you know, and I was, let me see, this is 2011. So I, I had like just turned 16 and my grandmother, um, one of the major influences in my life. Again, my mom was a single mother, but my grandmother was right there next to her the whole time. And so losing someone so important to me, so young, um, who was incredibly devout, like a lot of my earliest church memories are with her. Um, It really made me question my faith in a way that I think happens to a lot of people when they lose someone important to them. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got into this like whole kind of like shitty teenager, like punk, like atheist, like, no man, we just need like rationality. Like if we all just thought about things logically, we would see that all religions are stupid and And I was kind of stuck in that phase for a little minute. And then um, I kind of grew into just more where I am now, this general, like, you know, I I don't believe that we're here by accident. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't really identify with Christianity anymore. But I do think culturally, culturally. I do mm-hmm. hold a lot of those teachings still very close to me. And when it came time to begin unpacking my relationship with sexuality and shame and stigma, a lot of it was tied back to this like mythical purity that I had basically been taught to hold onto for dear life since, you know, like my earliest days. And so um, like, you know, the whole like... um it, it, basically, if you have sex before marriage, like, people aren't going to want to be with you. You're not going to be worthy of marriage, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, like, fun fact, um, I've been with my now fiancé for almost seven years. We've had premarital sex. We're fine, you know? <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> you know, like,
1: I i I'm so think, glad God didn't strike you down with a bolt of lightning.
2: I know, right, right. I, I think kind of having these experiences that I was— kind of taught like, well, if you do these things, bad things will happen. And like then doing the things and bad things not happening, it really started making me question the whole setup. And uh, (laughs) and so again, so when it came time to like, really ask myself, you know, like if if these things made sense to me, I couldn't conceive of a God that was so like, you know, loving and generous but would condemn his own children for living the lives that they thought were best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no like religious figure who was really evangelical and really conservative could give me like a good answer to that. I was able to kind of get in touch with like a more radical Methodist congregation of all things, Methodists.
1: Did did you just say the words "radical Methodist (laughs) congregation"? I just because that's my new band name. I I don't know know if you know that.
2: (laughs) Yes, be in that band. Yes, and so the pastor there, great, just a great man. Um, He truly lived. um, He truly lives, not even live, but lives as um, as I think, like the church should be. Um, You know, his church was very welcoming to. The outside. So I went to a really white school. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans.
0: Mm, And
2: really white school in a really black city. And I felt like a complete outcast for a lot of that. And he opened up his church to queer kids, to trans kids, to the students of color who felt like we didn't have anywhere else to go. And, you know, I think that there is a God, that kind of mentality, that just radical acceptance and that the way that we formed community is is how god wants us to be and so we still keep in touch he's a great person um
0: mm-hmm.
2: and but also like kind of coinciding with this was me um getting in touch with my like ancestral spirituality and um getting quote unquote woke you know i'm thinking about the ways that christianity was forced upon enslaved people um right. and yeah. how i i can't personally can't reconcile that um and you know d- just really thinking about the ways that again is this so valid if god was really like kind of closing his eyes for like 400 years of slavery like like what was yeah. that he'll say? you know like either yeah. you know either he was around and just didn't care enough to do something about it or His relationship to humanity is a bit different than we think it is. And Mm -hmm. and I just, I just really kind of couldn't buy into the whole, you know, suffer on earth for like benefits in the afterlife because I'm trying to, I'm trying to live now, you know, life is pretty lit. And so, um, but how this all, I guess, ties back into sexuality, um, is that it, it really informs. And this is what I kind of love about like the perspective from which I approach things is that like, I, I I live my life, like, fairly openly in terms of, you know, I'm open about being a sex blogger and talking about the things that I talk about. And there's so many people in my life who kind of won't openly acknowledge, like, that they read my blog or that they follow me or things like that. But I know that they do because they approach me, like, personally, to ask me questions. Uh, and Like, kind of on
0: the side, like, hey.
2: Exactly. You know, they'll text me, DM me or things like that. and that just lets me know that i am doing something right that a lot of us and by us i mean a lot of young people especially those who come from more religious areas that are kind of victim to repression um and speaking specifically from my perspective in the south that we're all starting to see that like if we weren't necessarily sold lies there's you know some things just aren't adding up and that it's not the worst thing in the world to try to explain that or unpack that um and so because i i think about
0: um
2: i'm really a fan of 90 day fiance i love trash reality tv yeah and one of the seasons there's this uh man on there who was like 27 and he was from spain and he was marrying an 18 year old girl here in the u.s and like the biggest fight of their relationship was about Them talking about their sex life. They were both virgins, they're both religious, they were like, you know, we're not gonna have sex until we get married, which, like, fine. But he, like, had a breakdown when his future wife is trying to get him to talk about sex. Like the sex that they will be having in just a couple of weeks. And that just just made me so upset to really see this grown man like fearful to talk about something as natural as sex. Um, And I just kind of, it just reinforces the idea that I want to keep having these conversations, even if it feels like I'm tweeting into the void sometimes and people aren't really engaging with the content because every time I make a post, every time I tweet, you know, when I'm talking about these topics, it's just doing that much more to really break down that stigma and really kind of Um, just show people that it's it's okay to question the things that we were brought up with. And, you know, family's not understanding isn't the easiest thing to overcome. It's really funny. I've been doing this for almost three years now and I haven't actually had an open conversation with my mom about sex. I've lived with my partner for almost three years, haven't had an open conversation with my mom about sex. I'm an adult and I'm planning a wedding and haven't had, you know, like all of these things. And- and it's not because, like, again, she's, like, particularly, you know, like, um, like she she, wouldn't shut the conversation down. It's just that we don't know. We're not taught how to open that door. Right. And I resolve to myself that should I ever have children, I don't want them to feel that way about approaching me when it comes to talking about sex and their budding sexuality, especially if they're queer. I want my children to feel supported. In all of that and if it means you know just like opening that door with them when they're young and kind of saying hey this is what it's about of course obviously in like age appropriate ways right like then why not i don't because i just think about that you know the guy on 90 day fiance who just could not talk about sex out loud with his future wife and i don't you know i don't i don't want people to have to live like that and um i i see i see the consequences of religious oppression like Fairly frequently. And I think that the ways that it's weaponized against those who um, don't have as much power by those who are, you know, I also think that, again, for talking institutionally, like that can't be avoided. So um, what comes to mind is in Louisiana, um, a couple years ago, Bill Cassidy, who at the time I think was just a state senator, and now he's a United States representative, I think, his um, 16-year-old daughter was pregnant, like, became pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And this is a guy who, despite being a medical doctor, actively, like, is against instituting um, comprehensive sex ed in Louisiana and is, of course, you know, a quote-unquote pro-life kind of guy. Um, and it, it doesn't, you know, the irony isn't lost on me that someone like that um, ends up with a pregnant teenage daughter and right. has nothing but positive things to say, you know, oh, it's such a blessing, you know, we're so excited about this, but where's that kind of like, you know, same level of like morality posturing when it right. comes to preventing this in the first place.
1: Uh-huh. Interesting side note here. Most physicians, especially general practitioners, mm-hmm. have very little sex education themselves. <laughs> we have actually like assisted in teaching uh, PhD-level medical students on sex and sexuality. Because I think, what do they have, like six hours?
0: Yeah, it's like f- five to ten, depending. F- five, yeah, yeah. Five, five
1: to ten hours total sex education for general practitioners. So, Lizette, we have one. We got to wrap things up here, but I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, in the pre interview, we talked about you going to, which is one of my and Sonny's favorite sex conferences in the United States, Sex Down South. Mm -hmm. And you happen to attend there. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell us three things that impacted you at Sex Down South.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. So, besides uh, food. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'm. I, I absolutely loved going to Sex Down South last year. It was amazing. And school got in the way this year, but I am definitely back in there next year. Hell or high water. Um, I would say the the first big thing that impacted me was the nature of the space itself. And I mean that um, in, so in the hotel, the way that it was set up was that, you know, we were obviously like in a hotel, um, but beyond a certain like demarcation point, it was kind of a free for all, you know. You could dress however mm-hmm. you wanted to. There were like privacy curtains put up on doors. Like you could just be butt naked if you wanted to,
0: um, right?
2: And experiencing that level of freedom in in public was also it was just kind of a new experience for me in the first place, which is why I think it was so impactful. Like I think you know, at one point I was walking around in my bra and underwear, like just because I could, like literally because right, that's I could. Awesome. Um, the second big thing was one of the um one of the workshops that i went to by uh, the, per- the name of the person who did it escapes me but i did i named her in my write-up on the po- on the conference from last year um she did a workshop on astrology and sex and sexuality and mm-hmm. as kind of a woo-woo person myself <laughs> um that was really affirming and just really exciting to hear. Just again, the ways that I don't think things are coincidences. The way that the stars have aligned um, when we were born definitely impact the way that we see sex and relationships. And the third mm-hmm. thing. Um, and when I knew that I was doing the right thing with this whole sexology bay thing was at the end in- on the. The last day, um, which is normally a Saturday, they have this thing called the Big Bang, which is like a party. And it's different, um, I guess, like acts, you know, get on stage, burlesque, stripping, dancing, um, things like that. there was one point where, I don't remember the context, but there were people on stage shaking ass to to Kirk Franklin. And... (laughs) (laughs) When I tell you I shed actual tears in that moment because the one like Kirk Franklin makes bops, like Kirk Mm -hmm. Franklin makes club music. I'm not, I can't even deny that. (laughs) Um, Hmm. But to see black people in the South, shake an ass to gospel music. It was so affirming to me because it just, it just reinforced the idea that we can hold all of this in us that we i don't you know I don't have to completely shed my religious upbringing and completely shun religion to move forward um like as a sex positive person as a sex positive like writer or quote you know like person and mm-hmm. um and just that i mean it, it like just seeing that kind of display of like you know just the just the inter intersections i guess is really the best way to describe it of. Southernness. you know, because I, I can't imagine a similar scene taking place in any other part of the world. I think it our relationship, yeah. exactly. We,
1: we, we go to hundreds of these things, and sex down south is its own unique creation that. I've never seen replicated anywhere else, at least in the United States or North America.
0: Yeah. And for those listening along who don't know what Sex South South is, yearly sex conference in Atlanta, um, and it centers people of color, the majority of people that attend are people of color, although all people are welcome. um, But that's not something, you know, usually sexuality conferences are very white spaces and not in the South. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so and so being able to see people who looked like me, people who have similar backgrounds to me, doing the things that I would want to do, like it, it just let me know that like you know we can kind of do it all, and there's really nothing wrong with that. It was just it was it was really a thing of beauty, and like I said, it made me cry. Aww. Well,
1: Lizette, thank you so much yeah. for coming on the podcast today, and just tell us a little bit about where we can find you on the internet.
2: Yeah. So um you can find me on Twitter at Sexology Bay. That is S-E-X-O-L-O-G-Y-B-A-E. Um, that's my handle on Twitter as well as Instagram. I am on a bit of an Instagram hiatus. However, it is still um, active. And you can also find me at my blog, SexologyBay.com.
0: Awesome. And also... Okay, so listeners listening, American fuckers, you know, we take this ahead of time, like this isn't live or anything. It's probably like, it's, you know, now that you're listening a few weeks in the future. But Lizette, you are like about to launch some kind of giveaway. I don't think you know the details yet. But where can they go to find the details once they exist?
2: Yes, so I'm super excited to be able to do this for y'all. This is my first foray into something like this, so I'm definitely excited to make it happen Um, in honor of me kind of making my first big step into media with being on this podcast. uh, Some of my friends at SheVibe and Betty's Toy Box have offered to give some of you wonderful listeners some products on my behalf. So um, hop on over to my Twitter. That is where every single detail will be um, for entry, For anything you need to know, hop onto my Twitter and you can find it all there.
0: Awesome. Yay. I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm so excited excited too. Yay. And um, American Fuckers listening along, as always. Stuff that we talked about, I know that like, and and you know, if we remember some of the people that we couldn't remember, like I'll go up and look who taught that astrology class at Sex Down South. So we can link that and a lot of the stuff that we talked about, if you're like, I didn't catch that, I'm going to put all the links in our show notes at American Sex podcast.com and I will also have the information for the giveaway there so hop on over there and get all the goods and uh thank you. I really enjoyed getting to know you, um getting to hear your perspective and giving Newer, less known sex bloggers and sex educators a, a platform because we you're, you're God I feel like an old lady.
1: You are an old lady <laughs> you're baby. the next generation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are, you're going to carry the, next carry generation. the world she on literally your shoulders. The next generation. And, but it's true. Yeah, It's true. And, and thank you so
1: much for even considering coming on our show. We really appreciate your time.
2: No, th- thank y'all. This <laughs> thank y'all so much for having me. Um, this has been it's been such a whirlwind to. Um, kind of start this as just kind of by the seat of my pants, buying a domain and starting a Twitter page. And to be here two and a half years later is so amazing. So I thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to just kind of share where I'm coming from and uh, the things that are important to me. Awesome. Thank
0: you. Thank you. So All right.
2: So
0: much. Bye. Bye. Bye.